This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy, zero-emissions buildings and zero-emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radio team at beyondzeroemissions.org. This is the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR. Accessed via the old-fashioned way on a radio at 8.55am, live streaming through the 3cr.org.au website or via a podcast obtained from either one of the 3cr.org.au or bze.org.au websites. My name is Jane and tonight is the second last of our 2015 summer series programs. Come 18th of January, you'll find Viv back in the studio. But tonight we are presenting the piece on the Great Forest National Park, first broadcast on 15th of June last year, that is 2015. Vivian gives a comprehensive introduction to this piece. So over to you, Viv. In tonight's show, I have Vivian on the line. Uh, Vivian's in Sydney, and she's going to talk to us about uh, what we have in store. Are you there, Viv? Yes, I am, Jane. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you very well. That's nice and clear. All right. Um, Tonight, we're taking you to the Great Forest National Park, and someone called Steve Katsanaris told me about this a long time ago. He said, you should do a story on that. And so I signed up with a tour uh, just Sunday one week ago, to go up to Warburton. Um, I had the day before interviewed Senator Janet Rice and she told me, oh, you must see it. It's just, it has to be seen. It's a magnificent forest. But the main reason to go now is because the renewable energy target, that tired old thing that's been back and forth in Parliament, is coming up in the Senate today and they'll be deciding on it tomorrow. And you must, listeners, if you care about this at all or feel brave enough to phone up any member of Parliament, please phone the crossbench senators. So now Mm. it might just seem completely crazy, wood chips, how can they be even included as a renewable energy? But that is part of the deal that is in the Senate at the moment. Um, The implications for forests like the Great Forest National Park, a lot of which is now not national park, it's state, State forest. It can. It means it can be logged. It's being logged for white paper, like reflex paper that you use in the office. And it, I went there. So um, now I just want to tell the listeners how we got to this amazing thing. We ended up being in a sort of art event, like an opera. It was, it was funny because we missed the bus tour, and someone gave us a lift called um, Karina Goldfinch, and she turned out to be an artist. And on the top of her car was all these sort of sticks covered in wool, brightly coloured wool, and Mm. she took us to um, a a burnt-out wood coop, and it was terrible. I was 
totally gobsmacked. I got out of the car and it was just half the side of the hill just burnt, charred. It wasn't bushfire, it was uh, logged. It had been logged and then the uh, apparently by helicopter they spray stuff on it that chars and burns the remaining stuff and they just leave it mm. lying around. It's absolutely awful looking. And then in the background she was setting up her art installation um, <laughs> which made it a little nice little refuge in this blackened landscape. Um, I heard this opera singer trilling up his incredibly strong voice and it was like a natural amphitheatre and it was a man, he had almost have a counter tenor voice and this high pitched but manly voice stringing crawling out over this valley, and it was just magnificent. And I tried to catch him for you listeners on my, um, you know, recorder, but I couldn't. It, the wind kept blowing the sound away, so I went up to him and said, could you do it again? And he sang his enormous song there. And uh, then the, the little art installation looked like a teepee of brightly coloured sticks, and then the knitting nanas arrived. And they're, they're not mm. sweet old ladies at all. They're quite astute political operators, I'd say. And they sat down looking as, as sweet as apple pie, but they they were there. And the opera singer was hiding behind a log, and there was someone else dressed up as a lead beater's possum, which is the icon of this movement. And then the tour arrived, and it was, there was a lot of children. So the story of the lead beater's possum was told to the children how these possums were was totally endangering their habitat to have logging. But then this opera singer gave this haunted song, and he later told me he thought it, felt like an apocalypse had happened here. It was a scorched earth policy. So after the art event, it was somehow marvellous we were part of it. You know, we suddenly got caught up in it. I interviewed uh, some of these people. So tonight you'll hear Senator Janet Rice first. She'll give the sort of political overview of why we need to preserve these, these this forest particularly, but especially native forests as a carbon sink and the political thing about the RET that we, we try to ask you to lobby. Please lobby. It doesn't take much to just phone up or email a politician with one line, you know, protest. Um, but So Senator Janet Rice is our first speaker, but then I interviewed some of these people, the opera singer whose name was James Karina, who is the artist, and the knitting nanas. And at the end, I interview one of the people on the tour who is a you know, great mover and shaker in this movement to create a great... Forest National Park to link up all these state forests that are now logged, they're open to logging, state forests, they're going to be turned into a national park. We hope it'll be, you know, sounds like a lot of people are behind it. Jill Neville, um, no, uh, what's her name? Lisa Neville, the um, climate change minister, we interviewed her last week. Well, she, mm. she um, I think, is behind it. Uh, it's, it. It should happen for Victorians. They need an extra forest to purify the water and as a playground really for Melbourne you know it's a beautiful place and also to, to preserve the the, ha- the habitat for the lead beaters um, possum exactly. which I understand yes. is uh, under yes. dire threat that's right a few years ago or I don't know how many they said 20 years ago they thought they were extinct and then they started finding them again and they're tiny little fragile possums and and they've captured the public imagination as the sort of icon of this, but there's loads of other species, including tree species. And the mountain ash was so inspiring. Then after we'd been to this burnt-out landscape and been part of the art event and heard from all these people, we, we ended up in a much more beautiful forest with this mountain ash. I, you know, they're just beautiful. They're completely great. Like a cathedral, one of them said. It was just soaring mm. into the sky, very, very high up, and the canopy above just grey-green and very beautiful and 
um, the people, I love the, these people because they've been doing tours for years, you know, just taking children, people, anyone who's interested there because you have to see it to know why it's precious and they want tourists to go there and it'll be worth a lot more in tourism, I think, to the state of Victoria than it is in just making reflex paper. Mm. Um, well, if it's not appealing, also, if the idea of uh, preserving uh, species isn't appealing, perhaps the fact that um, this area is also responsible for most of the drinking water, it's a catchment area yeah. for the drinking yeah. water for the city of Melbourne. So um, in, in that respect, it needs preservation as well. Well, I've got a website um, address here, Vivian, for the Great Forest National okay. Park, so people can go and read okay. more about the proposal. So that's www.greatforestnationalpark.com park.com.au if people are interested in uh, having a look at that in a little bit more detail. The idea is to keep in your mind the idea it's a national park which is preserved as opposed to a state forest which permits logging and um, a lot of people are saying look there's jobs in this to to turn it over into a national park, there's tourist tourist potential and there's fire buffering potential because we all remember the terrible fires up at King Lake and and 2009 Marysville, uh, but this is an especially moist forest. The, apparently, there are the tallest flowering trees in the world grow there. It's a mountain ash mm. habitat. They're hundreds of years old. But the moistness of that forest, you have to preserve all the trees intact. If you have these aerations of logging coops, you know, dotted around, then that creates a place where bushfires can start and it, it speeds them up. So. In effect, it's a buffering to bushfires. That's right. It creates its own cool, wet climate. Yeah. And also, from beyond zero's point of view, we're always harping on about climate change, even though most people don't want to think about it. But for climate change, we're going to have to think about sequestering carbon, keeping it in the ground, not allowing it to be um, uh, escaping in the air, certainly not by burning it. And this uh, sequestering... uh, I think Senator Rice says to us somewhere along the line, she says it's worth about $40 million a year to the state. You know, you can imagine mm. that an enlightened government would be paying the state to keep those forests intact. So it's wonderful. And I went there, and I think you'll hear from the uh, interviews how exciting it was for me to be there. It was just marvellous to meet these people, such good people doing a creative job, you know, using their imagination, not, not just... Uh, grinding on with a campaign that's not working. They keep thinking new, a new aspect, a new new approach. It sounds sounds to me like quite a magical day with uh, art, knitting and opera singers. (laughs) The opera just made it. It was just fantastic. So have you heard enough about this? Yeah, look, listeners, please listen, write to those people, ring them up. Jane will say their names and put them on the website. But please take some action. This is your forest, your water. A concerted campaign this evening. Yeah, yep. Tune in to 3CR from December 21 to January 17 for summer programming for a great selection of community radio treats and an eclectic range of summer specials. You'll hear highlights from 3CR's Unique Beyond the Bars 2015, documentaries and current affairs, historical reflections on HIV campaigning, and one-off specials like the David Bowie fan retrospective. Language programs such as The Voice of West Papua, Focus on Palestine, and Summer of Greek Resistance will run throughout the season. And don't forget music specials, The Reggae Groove, The Raven's Lair, Music is My Radar, Weird Girls, Wicked Women and Gaelic Music on New Year's Eve. 
Visit 3cr.org.au slash summer specials for a full schedule. There's still plenty of reasons to stay tuned to 3CR over summer. Good evening, everybody. Senator Janet Rice sent me a message this week. It's about the Renewable Energy Target Bill, which has passed in the lower house. She wants all of us who are into climate action to call on senators not to pass it next week. I have Janet on the phone now to tell you about what to do. Hello, Janet. How are you? Hello, Vivian. I'm good, thanks. Could you tell us how you want to work with the ALP on this? After all, they say they're opposed to logging and burning native forests. Well, the renewable energy target, the Greens would have preferred to have seen the renewable energy target left at the rate that it was at, at 41,000 gigawatt hours. We accept that the government has, um, that Labor has done a, um, come to an arrangement with the government and reduced the target to 33,000 gigawatt hours. Look, you know, if that was the target and that's what they've agreed on, it's it's probably it's better than nothing. As I said, we would have preferred it to be 41,000. But it's been severely undermined by the inclusion of the burning of wood from native forest for energy um, being part of the deal that was that was done. So our position is that Labor should have insisted on reaching the arrangement with the government right as a condition of that arrangement that native forest wood burning should have been left out. They didn't do that. Um, so the position they've taken is, look, they've they tr- moved an amendment um, in the House of Representatives that, uh, to remove the native forest wood burning. That amendment wasn't passed, but then so then they decided they would support the bill in its entirety. We actually think that we'd be much better off, given that the native forest would, if that ends up in the final bill as it's um, proceeding through the Senate, we'd be better off rejecting the bill completely. Okay. well, look, I don't see how the spirit of a renewable energy target can be honoured if the bill allows what they call forest waste to be burned, because that still admits carbon, and the whole point of a renewable energy target is to make phase out fossil fuels. Absolutely. And we know that the logging of forests, logging and burning of forests overall is incredibly um, destructive of, of forests as incredibly valuable carbon stores. Um, we've, we've got a situation where the government is calling what they're going to be burning wood waste, but in fact we know that it's not waste at all and it certainly isn't real renewable energy and is going to be competing against um, genuine renewables such as wind and solar in having renewable energy certificates allocated to it. So, the, the, and the really complicating factor is that it's going to be the burning of whole logs, so the logging, the destruction of native forest, and then the burning of whole logs coming out of those trees that are in that native forest being burnt for energy, which um, the government and, and Labor have accepted is, is being defined as renewable. It's completely um, against the whole understanding of what people understand renewable energy to be. Exactly. I've noticed that the discussion of the RIT, it's been going on for so long and I've been to so many of those community forums and so on, but uh, so many of these discussions of the RIT managed to leave climate change kind of out of it. They don't mention the word. I'd like to know how can you make this the central reason for the RET and make it 
you know, a rate that increases over time, that from the 41 gig, thousand gig, does like, you know, that it increases from that. Yes, and certainly the Greens, you know, we want to see us shifting to 100% renewable energy as quickly mm. as possible, so that should be our target over, mm. you know, over the next um, 10, 20, 30 years. And so, you know, with the 41,000 gigawatt hours as just being a stepping stone towards that. And certainly in terms of the, the renewable energy target legislation that's currently before the Parliament, the key way is actually, well, at least if we've got 33,000 gigawatt hours of renewable energy, make it all renewable. Um, And we know from the proposals that have been put up by the forest industries that we reckon that that something like 15% of that renewable energy target could potentially be taken up with um, energy that's come from the burning of native forest wood. Mm. So in fact the target for the, the remaining you know, wind and solar would actually be, be right back down in the, in somewhere in the 20,000s, mm. which is, is no better than, you know, it's, it's worse than what um, Labor came to the table with in terms of, and, and in fact the government came to the table with in terms of when they began the discussion. Yeah, I don't think people really understand that or I haven't heard it stated as clearly as you just mm. said it then and I think the people that I know, we're all just worried about climate change and taking climate action and this just seems to be like a sleight of hand exactly and the words climate change the idea of climate change isn't somewhere embedded in this idea of renewable mm. energy yes and i mean we know that with re- with regard to how we manage our forests if we're concerned about and as, as you know you and i are and, and most of your listeners are concerned about taking serious action to be um both mitigating climate change and protecting our stores of carbon and and sequestering more carbon sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, yeah. we need to be keeping all of our native forests in their intact state. And there's, there's so much good research that shows that the best way, and in fact Beyond Zero Emissions Land Management Report said that look, the best way to manage our forests with climate change as an objective is to just allow them to grow old, just let them stay there and to be managed not only for their carbon, for their water, for their value, for, mm. um, for animal, plants and animals and for tourism and recreation. We're actually in a really good situation, if only you know, the, the, the government would acknowledge it, of, of having now 80% of the wood products that are being produced in Australia being produced from plantations. So the, the, the wood that's coming from native forests is very much just the tail end of the industry yeah. and it's in decline. Um, and in fact, those forests are just so much more valuable to us, you know, for all of those, for, for carbon, yeah. for water, for, for biodiversity than they are for, as, as timber production. Um, and even on, on pure economic grounds, if you accept the $14 a tonne as the carbon price, which was achieved in the Emissions Reduction Fund auction that um, Greg Hunt conducted a few months ago, the value of Victoria's native forests as carbon stores is worth about $100 million a year to mm. us. Mm. And I just think, you know, OK, if you're concerned about protecting regional communities and managing our forests, think of what an income stream of $100 million could do for those rural communities we could be managing, you know, the land management, the pest animal control, the pest plant control, um, investment in, in recreational facilities, tourist facilities, in, investment in walking tracks, in bike tracks, mm. all of those sorts of things. And, and then also then, you know, revegetation of degraded um, agricultural land as well, which you could then be, you know, growing your farm forestry, growing further plantations yeah. um, a- as required. That income stream of $100 million a year would enable you to do all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's just looking at it from an economic perspective. But essentially the reason we're going down this track is because we've got 
vested interests in the native forest timber industry who just want to keep on making um, a lot of money at our for- out of our forests, which you know, increasingly um, it's becoming very obvious that, as we've known, it just gets subsidised to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars every year. Mm. So it's, it's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, you look at East Gippsland's forest, for example, where there's been the recent revelations from Vic Forests that it's costing us $5 million of public subsidies to continue the logging, and yet if we were protecting them as carbon stores, it would be worth about $50 million to the yeah. state. Right. Well, look, I'm just coming back to the ALP. I imagine that they are, you know, getting pressure from their unions. There are jobs in that logging. Um, what would you say to those people, you know, who have jobs now in logging and don't want to lose them? Well, again, the good news is that most of the jobs in the timber industry are actually now in plantation forestry. There are very few jobs in native forest native forestry. Um, in the, the Central Highlands region, the area where we want to see the Great Forest National Park, for example, one of the main local government areas is the Shire of Murrindindi. They've The census statistics say in the Shire of Murrindindi there's the grand total of 49 people who are employed in the native forest timber industry. It's a very, very small number of jobs and most of the incredibly inflated overestimates of jobs in the native forest timber industry are all based upon very excessive multiplier figures. You know, every person you employ then is going to have this flow-on effect of having lots more people employed in other industries. Mm. Whereas, in fact, in fact, we know that there are the... the you know, much more, in fact, employment in, in tourist industries and recreation and, um, and, and potential other, um, other industries and potentially growing the number of people that are employed in, in, in plantation-based forestry um, being the you know, much more sensible direction to go in. Right. Well, look, um, Janet, uh, listeners, we're speaking to Senator Janet Rice and she has a, a petition, I think it's on Facebook. Would you tell the listeners, if they've listened to everything you say and they get out their pens and paper now, what is the address for that? They can sign a petition to the senators to tell them next week to stop, um, you know, pass, not to pass this bill. Yes, it's au. I think it is. Yeah, don't au. <laughs> yes, and... And so you can go onto that petition and the other, the other thing that we're asking people to do is to be calling um, the Labor leader in the Senate, Senator Penny Wong, to say that, look, if, if the amendment to remove native forest logging from the uh, renewable energy target doesn't succeed, that Labor should walk away from this deal altogether. Right, all right. And, and we're, I mean, we're also encouraging people to be um, making contact with the, the crossbenchers in the, the Senate who have, you know, essentially... We can knock. We can get rid of this um, the the legislation, including native forest burning, with the support of Labor, the Greens, and we need three of the crossbenchers. And so, to so get the pressure on those crossbenchers, and so, you know, um, to get them to to understand how much people are concerned about the protection of native forests and how this is going to be such a bad deal for our forests. Okay. We really encourage people to, to contact them. All right. Okay, look, let's talk now about this thing called the Great National Forest. Um, I've heard a lot about it at various, you know, sustainability festivals, and you see a big map with all these green patches just expanding out from Warburton and so on, and I know it's meant to be a grand and wonderful and world-renowned sort of uh, forest. If we stopped logging in that forest, you know, the Great National Forest, which is going to be National Park, is it? The Great Forest National Park. The Great Forest National Park, sorry, yes. If we stopped logging in that area, which is Victoria's Central Highland area, what would that mean for, 
know, in, ter- in numbers, in, in saving carbon emissions? Well, that's, um, there's a report that's on um, Greg Hunt's desk at the moment that's been sitting there since the beginning of the year, which the details of were leaked to the age early this year. And as a senator, I've been asking for this report, both in the letters to, to Greg Hunt and through Senate estimates. But what, as we understand it, if we stopped logging that, the areas of forest that we want to see included in the Great Forest National Park. It would be the equivalent of stopping the emissions of 3.4 megatons of carbon every year and and in carpet credits, as I was explaining before, at the carbon price that was achieved in the auction um, a couple of months ago of $14 a tonne would be worth about $40 million to the state. It's, it's as a carbon sink. That's right. Yes, so you That's can right. put a number on this as a carbon sink. Yep. That's right. And so basically letting the forest that's there just, just grow old. And we've got in most, there's very little um, remaining old growth forest. So some of it's old growth forest in this area, but the, a lot of it is, is forest that was, has um, regrown after the 1939 bushfires. So it's now you know, 75 years old. And it's just at the stage of these mountain ash forests that are, you know, they're growing incredibly strongly and have got a you know, huge um, role in, in sequestering carbon. This is soaking up the carbon to the atmosphere and you know, allowing them to grow old, doing that, soaking up carbon and then, you know, letting them get to the stage of being the 120 to 150 years old that then allows them to be habitat for the for the whole range of threatened Mm. animals that live in this forest, Mm. including the critically endangered um, leadbeater's possum. Mm. Is this done in other countries that you take a forest and you sort of pay the people to manage it by calling it a carbon sink? Yes, and in fact, there have been various um, proposals around the world of, of... um, protecting areas of forest, you know, um, protecting areas of the Amazon, for example. And I know that there were some um, African forests that they're really um, trying to be getting international funds in order to protect the forest, and so then protecting it as a carbon sink. So we know that you know if we're going to be se- if we're going to be successful in tackling climate change, we've got to be reducing our emissions, you know, drastically and dramatically, mm-hmm. and we've got to be protecting all of our carbon sinks that we've got and increasing the amount of, of carbon that we're removing from the atmosphere. So our forests have got an incredibly important role to play. Mm. Well, um, someone said at a meeting I was at during the week, um, Indian people at the moment in around Hyderabad are dying. Um, I think over 2,000 people have died in heat waves, 48 degrees, 47, 48 degrees. People living in very minimal shelter and just dying. You know, the human body just can't stand that. Well, that's from the uh, you know that that can happen in Australia too. We have exactly, and this and this is you know the impacts that are, being, that are being felt in in the world with the current level of of warming above you know, um, pre-industrial levels. We're only at about 0.8 degrees Celsius, and currently we are on track for overshooting well beyond the. You know, the guardrail, which is already considered too high, of, of two degrees, and mm. we're heading, you know, directly for three, four, five, six degrees. Mm. It will be incredibly difficult for very large, you know, for millions, if not billions, of people in the world to to continue to survive. You look at the the science, and you know that you know, the areas of the world it's going to be virtually impossible to grow food anywhere in the tropics, for example, with four degrees of warming. Mm. With four degrees of warming, our wheat growing areas of, of Dubbo become like the central deserts of, of Australia. Mm. And the the heat, you know, the the human body just cannot cope with that level of heat. Yeah, right. Mm. I'm I'm very aware yeah. of it. All right. Well, look, I'm going to visit this 
forest this weekend and I'll interview some of the people who are trying to preserve it and trying to create this great forest national park. So thank you for talking to us about what you're doing in the Senate. Enjoy that, Vivian, because it really is a very special place. All of Victoria's forests are amazingly special places. So many people just don't even know we have got some Mm. of the most magnificent forests in the world and it's it's, it's up to all of us to be acting to be protecting them. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for your work in the Senate. Thanks very much, Vivian. Thank you. I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855, I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. Over 7.5 million people tune into community radio stations around Australia each month. Just like you, they're tuning in to get diversity, alternatives and to escape from the predictability of mainstream media. That's good morning from the Concrete Gang. And we're getting stuck into the garden show. Good afternoon and welcome to Ruminations here on 3CR. Welcome to another edition of Great Voices, 3CR's classical vocal program. Good morning and welcome to the Latin American Update program, 8.55am. Every day, 3CR brings you current affairs, local music, gig guides, activist information and community views and voices. Make sure you join us. Call 9419-8377. Tonight's show is entitled The Great Forest National Park and uh, I'm going to take you back now to an interview that... uh, uh, Vivian did when she was down there with Karina Goldfinch, the artist. I'm in the central highlands of Victoria, again in the forest, and I have a, one of the very committed forest activists who also is an artist, and she set up this wonderful installation of colour and sort of hopeful little like tree, tree tripods in a burnt landscape. And could I just ask you... In terms of the burnt landscape of 2009, that awful bushfire, we had a Royal Commission into it. There's been a lot of scientific opinion into how to stop future fires like that, given we've got climate change making everything worse. Um, Can you describe to me the argument why we shouldn't be logging anymore in this sort of forest? Um, Basically, uh, the results of the Royal Commission um, after the 2009 fires uh, showed that um, regrowth uh, was a lot more fire prone. So regrowing forests is a lot more fire prone. It's also it also has um, a greater demand for water, so it cuts down a lot of the water that's available for Melbourne. Um, uh, Chris Taylor's research showed that um, uh, a fire burns at its hottest um, in regrowth, regrowing forest. So the fact that uh, you're cutting down a lot of these forests here and in, in great swathes and big patches means that this regrowth has got a high demand for water and it's also a lot more fire-prone than it ever was. Would you say that the old, with really the centre of the forest, with the really old growth, is the really moist part of the forest? That's in fact a fire retardant, if That's more right. forest was like that? That's right. You get this thing called the edge effect. So when you start creating holes... In this patch of in these patches of forest, what it does is uh, is the, the the dryness and the light mm. starts creeping in and it starts to dry out the forest. Mm. So that's making it more fire prone as well, and creating a, a sort of more of a hazard for you know local climate change too. Mm. 
Could you just talk a little bit about your artwork here? I know artists don't like to put in words what they've already put into reality, but just talk about it. <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's, it's awful. It's an insulting question to ask an artist. What does this mean? I mean, we can see it's interesting and it's beautiful, but uh, how do you feel this interacts with this rather devastated landscape we're sitting in? It was an, it's an attempt, in a way, to bring some light and some colour into this black landscape. Um, the fact that it's made these sticks, you know, it's from the same material that this landscape is made from, um, and it's, it's, it's attempting to make it precious. It's also the tripod, uh, the tripod in Tasmania and a tripod in forest activism has long been used as, as a bit of a statement. People have been building tripods over roads. Mm. Um, there's a reference to the world angel there down in Tasmania, which was something that really inspired me mm. to tears. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Um, I, they did a... Um, done in the world forest and I can't tell you exactly the date um, but they erected a very large tripod over a road which which effectively stopped the logging and they had a young woman dressed as an angel perched dressed in white and dressed dressed as an angel perched up above Um, a stunning statement absolutely stunning yeah I'm Jane Clifton author musician actor, marriage celebrant, author of The Address Book. I've always been fond of 3CR, and not just because they played the song by my band stiletto, Woman in Trouble, 50,000 times. I was grateful for that, but that was a few years ago. Here I am again after all these years, and so is 3CR, still supporting musicians and writers and people with ideas to share. Keep going, 3CR. If you want to find out more about the Great Forest National Park, there is a website, greatforestnationalpark.com.au. But the next interview that we have is Vivian speaking to the Knitting Nanas. And it's a winter day and I've also got a lot of lovely, brightly coloured wool and artwork and two people who are from the Knitting Nanas. That doesn't mean they're sweet old ladies at all. I'm sure they're very pragmatic activists. I know they are from having talked to them. So could I just ask you both, what's at stake for you here in this um, timber-getting era? My concern is for future generations, my grandchildren. I want them to be able to enjoy these forests like we've enjoyed them before they got cut down to preserve the wildlife um, they talk about how the small mammals are disappearing so fast in Australia we need to halt that and the best way to do it is to get out of native forests logging yeah. we're in the central highlands of Victoria which is a great massive forest uh, it's commonly thought of as a place where you could have a great forest national park do you think that's what's at stake? most definitely I think the agenda of the federal government is to uh, clear fell as much as they can to prevent tourism, to prevent the collapse of the industry because it's totally unsustainable. It's uh, a predator of not only our environment but our economy. And uh, Greg Hunt and Tony Abbott, their plan is appalling to allow clearing, clear felling what's left of our native forests for biomass 
it's not practical. The effect on our carbon emissions will be catastrophic. And <laughs> what more can I say? It horrifies me. It doesn't give me any confidence for the future of these forests. Okay, well, if climate change is on our mind as the most important thing, uh, many people have said that preserving these forests intact, especially the old growth, keeping it as a moist forest, not letting all this new growth in it, which, which lays it wide open to bushfires, the gr- drying of climate change is making it vulnerable already. Why put these, you know, devastate a, a, a timber getting coop and then put new trees in? Once that argument has sunk in, do you think that is... Is that just too modern? Are people not understanding that? Is it just an old logging model that they're following? Yes, all the science means that we should be changing what we're doing. We're doing what was okay in the 1950s, but all the science is showing that what they're doing is totally unsustainable and we need to find a new model. If we do allow any logging to continue, it would have to be selective logging, which would allow the diversity of the forest to keep going and uh, it would save the wildlife as well. Um, Laura, can you tell me, I've seen on a map what the Great Forest National Park looks like, but can you just tell me, some of you live, well, both of you live round this way, um, what would it, what what does it mean in terms of legislation? What, what do they need to do in Parliament to make that happen? The Federal Parliament needs to put pressure on our Victorian government to cease logging in our, what's left of our native forests and to encourage the implementation of the Great Forest National Park. There would be far more jobs in it Uh, If they don't do that soon, there will be nothing left for tourists to see. And tourism brings in ten times the dollars and jobs of native forestry. It's unnecessary, the native forest logging. And uh, it's a no-brainer regarding climate change and uh, making the forest more flammable, water loss. And I want something to be left for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren but most of all for our uh, viability. Well I did an interview with Senator Janet Rice and she said well this is worth per annum something like 44 billion dollars if you keep it in the ground as a carbon sink you know the federal government could in fact pay that to the state to manage it as a carbon sink and preserve it so um, I'm hopeful that that is what happens. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to say about this situation? It just seems incredible that things haven't changed before now. Um, With all the stuff going on about climate change, you would have thought the governments would be thinking about the future, which they don't appear to be. If they were thinking about the future, this would have already happened. I think it's because it's invisible. To me, it's invisible. I've never seen this before. I'm really shocked at the wastefulness of it. Do you think that's the reason? Definitely under this federal government, uh, they are rushing backwards rapidly, determined to uh, plunder the environment totally, and it's the worst government I can recall, of course, and uh, I urge voters to vote them out next year and uh, allow 
policies to be implemented, such as the Great Forest National Park, to begin to repair the awful damage that's happened in the last four or five decades of clear fell logging, industrial scale logging for wood chips. That's uh, two concerned citizens sitting with me in the forest of the central highlands of Victoria. And I think they, uh, those two women, or concerned citizens, as Vivian called them, are representative of the Knitting Nanas, who are also quite prominent up in New South Wales against the, uh, the anti-coal seam gas. If you were listening really keenly then, you might have heard the faint sounds of an opera singer in the background. This opera singer, who had been making haunting sounds, came over to chat. I'm in the forest uh, in the central highlands of Victoria, surrounded by charred logs, and I found another local person here who is, has been singing. He's been practising some opera, which is very uplifting and mournful as well, and I would like him to just give his comments and his thoughts on this destruction and, and what could be better, what could be a better way of do, dealing with a beautiful forest. Well, thank you, Vivian. My name, my name is James, and uh, I live locally... Uh, and this is my first time up here in this coop that's been cut out and to actually have a sense of the... It's apocalyptic would be the best way to describe it. Um, and it's also, in, as, a, as a vocal artist, I actually find it quite inspiring to be up here and to be doing um, some uh, operatics out here in the forest. It's... Um, it, it, does it look like Act 5 of one of the operas you know? Uh, it looks like a lot of operas that I know, uh, but uh, specifically it's just, um, how could you describe it? It's like a scorched earth policy, the <laughs> aftermath. <laughs> Yes, if it was a tragedy, a drama, I imagine all the bodies would be piled up in front of us and someone would be making an epilogue. Well, that's it. Well, there are bodies and there's lots of them, but they're not human bodies. They're the, the, the leftovers of, of trees that have been cut down and, and charred, absolutely charred. That was James the opera singer who also joined the Knitting Nanas, uh, Karina Goldfish, uh, Goldfinch out in the Warburton Forest, uh, I think it was about 10 days ago now with Vivian. And uh, it, it's a push for the Great Forest National Park, which would be to add 355,000 hectares of protected forest to the existing 170,000 hectares of parks and protected areas in the central highlands of Victoria. 
If this was to go ahead, it would result in a park that would stretch from King Lake through to the Borbors and northeast up to Eildon. Uh, it would be around such towns as Healesville, King Lake, Tulangi, Warburton, Marysville and Woods Point. And for all the reasons that you've been hearing about tonight, that should go ahead. What's up, y'all? This is Paul Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, straight out of New York City. I'm checking in with Australia on 855 on your AM dial. And remember, community radio is subscription-sponsored, and I think it's incredibly important to always remember that it's a different perspective. Check it. Community radio now and beyond. Get lost in science. FreeCR every week to hear Beth, Chris and Stuart discuss news and issues from the universe that is science. Get informed and learn a bit more about the world around you. Lost in Science can be heard every Thursday at 8.30 in the morning and is repeated the following Tuesday at 6am. Word to the nerd. You can also download a podcast. Go to the website at www.3cr.org.au and get lost in science. And not only can you download podcasts for Lost in Science, you can also download the podcasts or listen to the podcasts for the Beyond Zero Emissions show. You can go to either 3cr.org.au and uh, follow the links under podcasts or you can go to the Beyond Zero Emissions uh, website, which is bze.org.au. Finally, the last interview tonight is with a fellow called Steve Mercher or Meacher. Meacher, it might be. Sorry, Steve, uh, who Vivian ran into out in the forest. And I'm talking to Steve Meacher, who's, I've been told, the go-to person on the Leadbeater Possum, and he knows everything about the Great Forest National Park. So, Steve, I'd really like you to share your knowledge with us. You know that our program has a climate focus. We're mostly looking for land management that sequesters carbon or in some way mitigates or slows down the climate Um, disruption that we're already facing so could you talk to us about the Great Forest National Park from that angle? Yes well just to say that uh, we already know that the carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere are too high and we need to bring them down and one of the most effective ways to do that is through forests so we need to protect our forests and these forests here in the central highlands of Victoria are the most carbon dense forests on earth um, and logging them releases a lot of carbon. So uh, Leadbeater's possum is very, very important, but partly because it is a species that has legal protection because it's so rare. It was thought to be extinct for 50 years before it was rediscovered in 1961, and in 1971 it was made one of the state's formal emblems alongside the helmeted honeyeater little bird with the yellow tufts from Yellingbow. So it's a really important animal to the state and it's a good animal to build the protection of forests around. So we use it as a flagship but it's one aspect of this entire complex ecosystem. There are at least 19 other species of vertebrate animals, other gliders, other possums, um, Owls, even, um, oh, 
uh, even a fish. The the bard gala Galaxias that we have in Talangi that live in these forests and rely on these forests and have nowhere else to live. So by protecting the Leadbeater's possum, we're protecting this whole raft of biodiversity. And this is a unique ecosystem. This combination of species doesn't occur anywhere else on Earth. Some of the species do. You get mountain ash trees in Tasmania. But you don't get mountain ash trees with the same species around them and with the same birds living in their branches and so on. This is a unique ecosystem, and in itself, it is critically endangered. It's been assessed that if we carry on treating it the way we're currently treating it, it's going to be lost within 50 years. So it is up to us to now write the happy ending. And that's why Leadbeater's possum is a flagship species for this entire ecosystem. Vic Forest actually describes logging in some areas as being a service to the community um, because they are maintaining jobs that actually, in the normal run of things, would just peter out. And they're using public subsidies to do it. So we've talked about that for decades and it hasn't worked. It's just led to conflict because it's been us against the loggers for decades and we've made very little progress. So a couple of years ago we started talking about a new approach, the Great Forest National Park, a positive scheme that leads to something good that everybody can get behind and support. And the idea of the Great Forest National Park is to actually protect the Central Highlands forests of central Victoria from King Lake in the west all the way through to Eildon in the northeast and down to the Borbors in the southeast to protect the whole central highlands within a connected park that covers this unique mountain ash ecosystem. Within it you can see there are dark green areas. These are the catchments we've been looking at today that are already protected but you're not allowed to go into those. So you can't build a tourist industry around catchments that are locked off to the members of the public. So all you can do is take people up and see areas like this, which are also open to logging, which is not the greatest way to introduce people to the wonders of these absolutely miraculous forests. So what we want to do is exp expand the park area, protect it from extractive uses... In particular, that's right. in particular, get the logging out of these areas, but encourage other people to continue using them. Encourage visitation. We're talking to uh, people in four-wheel drive clubs who enjoy coming up and experiencing these forests, but they don't have to chop down trees to do it. Even keeping areas that would be open for horse riding, areas uh, near settlements that people would still be able to walk their dogs and so on. So not a national park that's going to shut people out but a national park that's going to welcome people in as long as they're not coming to cut down trees. So that is, that is the idea behind the Great Forest National Park. Uh, we launched it a couple of years ago and during the election campaign last year it developed an enormous Momentum. Um, momentum, a, a head of steam, I was going to say, looking oh, at the, nice. the smoke from the fires. Um, 
and it really actually changed the election result. Uh, Leadbeater's Possum and the Great Forest National Park campaign had a significant effect in the seat of Paran, for instance, where the Greens actually took a seat from the coalition, which is the first time that's ever happened, and at the pinch point in the count for preferences and so on, the difference was 14 votes. Well, I believe I can sincerely say that the Great Forest National Park campaign, we were handing out brochures on stations and so on, this campaign actually would have got those 14 votes and got Sam Hibbins elected in Paran. So we actually changed the result of the election. And, of course, that makes the big parties aware that this is an issue that can change election results. It's an issue that they need to act on. So Lisa Neville has actually set up a task force to look at how the Great Forest National National Park can be implemented. Um, Karina and myself, uh, I don't know, uh, and Karina, Karina and Karina, um, are part of a caucus that meets once a month face-to-face and in between by phone to discuss and, and keep this pushing forward. But what we need is for people to keep pushing the idea as well. The politicians will only act when they know that this is what voters want them to do. So the caucus is working on the detail, but we need you to keep the pressure on the politicians to make sure the big picture keeps moving in the right direction. So that's the concept of the Great Forest National Park. It's closer now than it's been, and national parks in this area have been talked about for 40 years. This is closer now to realisation than it's ever been. And it's thanks to you, it's thanks to voters, it's thanks to Karina and Karina and Don and even me, all the people who have been working together to have a positive vision for the future of these forests and a happy ending to our story of Leadbeater's Possum. Thank so you, help us write that ending. That was Steve Meacher talking to Vivian out in uh, out near Warburton, and he was talking, of course, in, in relation to the Great National Forest Parks Plan. Uh, as I've mentioned before, you can go and get more information about that. <clears throat> Excuse me tonight for my croaky throat. Greatforestnationalpark.com.au. Indeed, please do go and check out that website for the Great Forest National Park at greatforestnationalpark.com.au. Uh, There's some very good reasons to support that plan. Uh, Conservation, water catchments, tourism, climate and places of spiritual nourishment, to say the least. That's it for the show today.